You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily TCU podcast. And tomorrow, TCU Cal, week two, game two of the season, 2.30 kick. Should be a fun one. Uh, a couple things that I'm looking for in this game. First is, can TCU run the ball? And I know a lot of our big questions going into the season were about, can this offense um, you know, take the next step? And most of us believe that hinged pretty uh, solely on what happened in the passing game, the intermediate passing game, the deep passing game. Could they find a way to get these wide receivers involved? Could Max be more consistent uh, throwing the football? And that's still a huge key. And that's another thing I want to see in this game that I'll get to a little bit later. But later in the season, TCU kind of established your identity as a team that could run the ball. They're going to come downhill at you. They could move that line of scrimmage, establish the line of scrimmage. And, uh, you know, they have this really talented stable of running backs in Zach Evans and Kendra Miller, uh, Mari Di Mercado, who might be a little banged up. Gary Patterson says he's got a bruise um, that could potentially keep him from being – well, he didn't say it could keep him from being 100%, but he mentioned that Amari was pretty bruised up after that Duquesne game, and it's good that they have some depth there. Cal held Nevada to 2.8 yards per carry. Now, Nevada's not a team that runs the football um, with regularity. They're more of, a, of an air raid passing team. However, they have a good front seven, and they are tough to uh, tough to move off the ball. So, in this scenario where it's sort of strength on strength, can TCU use those running backs? Can the O line establish the line of scrimmage, open up some lanes for these athletes, and can you run the ball consistently? And I don't even—I mean, that doesn't have to be like. It would be great if Zach Evans ended the day with over 100 yards rushing. But I don't think that's the one mark of a successful run game. It's, are you getting three, four yards a carry? Are you able to break off a few? Uh, is it something that you can go to in your bag in different situations? Um, or is Cal going to do similar to what they did against Nevada, which would basically kind of stymie that run game all day long? Secondly, and and now we'll get to the passing game, uh, I thought they got everybody involved as far as wide receivers go against Duquesne. Max looked fine. So against a better opponent, can you protect? Can you give him a clean pocket to deliver from? And what kind of concepts are we seeing? Because we saw, we saw some pretty simple stuff. It seemed like they were – they were going to that quick game early with Savion Williams, some just sort of comeback route, some curls. Uh, you know, they hit, he hit Conrad on a nice pass on third and ten with a little interesting route combo. But for the most part, it was just one-on-one situations, guys making plays, getting open, making things happen. So, in week two, how does that change? Can your receivers – find ways to win one-on-one matchups can you give max time up front and then 
how does that play out um, as the game goes on. I also want to see... It's a little cooler this morning as I record this. So, it's still going to be hot. But, 2.30 in September in Texas. You'd imagine our guys are pretty ready for that. What does Cal look like coming from a much milder climate? And does that show up? I mean, you would hope that's an advantage that shows up in the second half for TCU. That they can find a way to just be the team that outlasts their opponent. That is more physical. That has legs in the fourth quarter and can make plays and make things happen. And then finally, as TCU gets ready to take on Cal and tries to get to 2-0 this season, what does this secondary look like tomorrow afternoon? Noah Daniels, still not really sure what his status is. Uh, if he doesn't play and it's Travis Hodges Tomlinson and C.J. Caesar, how does Caesar hold up in that situation? Can the young guys on the back end make plays? Gary mentioned in his presser on Tuesday, this is typical for young safeties, but had some guys going through some growing pains in that first game. Didn't matter a whole lot because of the opponent. I I just, I hope TCU, Cal did not show a whole lot passing the football last week. And I hope that they don't let Cal get over the top of them a couple times and, and make some big plays happen. Um, and we'll see how, how like, Caesar holds up in coverage. I don't know. I, I think he did some nice things towards the end of the season last year. But it was a pretty small sample. And we didn't really learn anything last week. Uh, it's just... To me, it's a big deal for the defense because I thought that was going to be a huge strength for them. And if they don't have much depth there, then there's a lot more question marks. Also, can you get to the quarterback? I mean, I I, I think they – Duquesne was trying to get the ball out quick, but I was a little surprised there weren't more meetings at the quarterback last week. Ochon Mathis got there. He got home a couple times. For the most part, though, it was a pretty quiet day from that D-line. Uh, are they able to show out against this Cal team? It should be a fun one. I think it's a big game. I mean, you want to get to 2-0 and uh, before you get a week off, and hopefully you're healthier and in good shape for that SMU game coming up. 2.30 tomorrow afternoon, TCU Cal. We'll be watching and we'll have plenty of reaction on Monday. Coming up next... Looks like four teams are going to be added to the Big 12 Conference today. We'll discuss that on Locked On Horn Frogs. Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily TCU podcast. I am Stephen Simcox, your host. Segment two coming your way. And uh, hey, new look Big 12, right? We've discussed it over the past few days. Uh, today there will be a vote from the Big 12 presidents. All the applications have been sent in. I'd really love to see what the application for membership in the Big 12 looks like. Like, can you access it online? Is there there a link that you have to have? Do they email that to you? Is it on Indeed? Where do you find it? Is it just, are you you also mad at Texas and Oklahoma 
And if you check yes, hey, you're good to go. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating kind of process of, of just universities applying for membership in a certain conference. Um, but BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF all expected to be voted into the Big 12 today. We'll find out details later on about the exit strategy. I know, I believe the American Conference has uh, a, a regulation where you have to have 18 months notice before you can just get out. And it's similar to the Big 12. If you don't do that properly, if you don't go through those protocols properly, then there is a, a big fine associated with not um, doing it the right way. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, we'll see how that all goes. I, I think the idea that Oklahoma and Texas are going to be playing in the Big 12 in 2025 is pretty ludicrous. I just I don't see that happening. And I would imagine that now that there's other schools trying to come into the Big 12 to save it, there will be uh, some mutual motivation to get this thing shook out pretty quickly. Um, Puts the American Conference in a bind. (laughs) And it's funny because Bob Bowlesby is also in this legal battle with ESPN, and that wasn't about the SEC situation. That was about... He, he alleges ESPN was telling the American Conference, like, hey, go merge with the Big 12. Like, try to get all these uh, – try to get these eight schools or six of these schools under the American Conference moniker, and then we'll up that TV deal and we'll just keep churning out, you know, content. Uh, that did not happen. So the AAC will have to move around and maneuver some things as well, but that's not really the important thing here. My first thought about this from a, from a program perspective – Adding these four teams, adding these four schools. These are, there's some really good football coaches in this in this group. You know, Gus Malzahn just taking over at UCF was at Auburn for a long time, and I don't know what his aspirations are. UCF's kind of become a revolving door of coaches. Josh Heupel now at Tennessee, Scott Frost at Nebraska for maybe not much longer, but he's there now. If you get to a, you know, quote-unquote Power 5 league, as, as long as the Big 12 is able to keep that status, keep that automatic qualifier, does that give him more incentive to stay at Central Florida? Because it's a, a school and a program that's started to see some sustained success. Luke Fickle is a great coach, and he's done a fantastic job in Cincinnati. If you're someone that follows recruiting rankings, his ability to recruit at the level he does – um, in the American Conference is pretty amazing. So him getting bumped up to the Big 12, I think that's probably only going to help him. Uh, Cincinnati could be a scary team here in the near future. They're already a top 10 club. We'll see if they can keep that up. Um, and then Houston, Dana Holgerson, I, I thought that was a, a great hire when they made it. It hasn't come together yet. Of course, year one was under the COVID situation, which threw a lot of first-year coaches out of whack. But he knows the conference really well. I mean, he was at West Virginia for a long time. He understands what it takes to win at that level. And then finally, Kalani Sataka at BYU. Um, Overall record, not super impressive there for the Cougars. But coming off his best season ever with Zach Wilson at the helm. Um, and, And now we'll see how BYU handles this season and if they can continue that success. But that's a pretty good group of coaches 
that are coming into the league. And from a, a basketball perspective as well, you have um, a high level of competition. Cincinnati, great tradition. Houston, really good tradition. They just had that Final Four appearance um, where they fell to Baylor in the semifinals last year. And, and UCF has been to the tournament before. BYU, uh, other than Jimmer Fredette, you don't really hear much about their basketball program. But again, you're adding some quality competition there. I think this is a good competitive conference. I will commend the Big 12 for doing the best they can. Now, does it move the needle much from a national brand perspective? No. And I realize that's what a lot of people are concerned about. Um, you're, you're not going to be able to fix that overnight. However, if the playoff ends up expanding to 12 teams, which I still think eventually it will, even though right now there's some questions about that because everyone's sort of, um, I, I guess, skittish maybe is probably the wrong word. People don't trust each other right now because of what's been happening within college football. Um, I, I think the decision makers don't know who to trust, uh, who they can count on at the moment. If you're able to keep your automatic qualifier, though, in the playoff, and it's a competitive conference, that's really my top two priorities. Now, I understand the situation of money gets fed into the facilities, it gets fed into the programs, and that helps your your uh, athletic program stay more competitive. And I also get that um, this could be really tough on the non-revenue sports because a lot of that excess, excess, excuse me, gets funneled to them to continue to build on projects. All things considered, though, I think the Big 12 is doing the best they can. Now, I'll say, TCU, keep your ear to the ground. You know, keep reaching out to people because if in six months the Pac-12 is suddenly like, hey, you know, we'd like to add somebody, then, yeah, throw your hat in that ring, too. But I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at how they've been able to kind of scrape this together in a limited amount of time. That's going to go down today uh, here on Friday. Also, on Thursday, you might have lost it in the Cowboys game, but TCU soccer, they played Alabama in Tuscaloosa, and they win that game 2-1 to one in overtime. Messiah Bright with a golden goal. Um, she had a header into the goal, right place, right time, made a nice play. So the Frogs win again. They're still undefeated. And two impressive wins on the road this week. On Sunday against Pitt and Thursday against Alabama, where, I mean, the pressure was on them the whole game. And it didn't always feel like um, they had the upper hand, but they still found a way to get out there and get a win. So congrats to Eric Bell and his squad. Again, they're really good. I'd encourage you, if you're not following them, most of their games are on ESPN+. Plus. Or at least, you know, make a mar- make a note like, hey, I need to check out what they're doing on Twitter on a weekly basis because they're doing nice things. TCU Calamara, we'll break it down on Monday. This has been Locked on Horn Frogs, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.